Chapter Twenty Seven, Part Three of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Diana Meilinger. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter Twenty Seven: A Discovery, Part Three. Mrs. Ormond found it no easy task to prepare Virginia for the sight of Mr. Hartley. Virginia had scarcely ever spoken of her father, but the remembrance of things which she had heard of him from her grandmother was fresh in her mind. She had often pictured him in her fancy, and she had secretly nourished the hope that she should not for ever be a deserted child. Mrs. Ormond had observed that in those romances of which she was so fond, Everything that related to children who were deserted by their parents affected her strongly. The belief in what the French call la force du son was suited to her affectionate temper and ardent imagination, and it had taken full possession of her mind. The eloquence of romance persuaded her that she should not only discover, but love her father with intuitive filial piety, and she longed to experience those yearnings of affection of which she had read so much. The first moment that Mrs. Ormond began to speak of Mr. Clarence Hervey's hopes of discovering her father, she was transported with joy. "'My father! How delightful that word father sounds! My father! May I say my father! And will he own me? And will he love me? And will he give me his blessing? And will he fold me in his arms, and call me his daughter, his dear daughter? Oh, how shall I love him!' I will make it the whole business of my life to please him. The whole business, said Mrs. Ormond, smiling. Not the whole, said Virginia. I hope my father will like Mr. Hervey. Did you not say that he is rich? I wish that my father may be very rich. That is the last wish that I should have expected to hear from you, my Virginia. But do you not know why I wish it? That I may show my gratitude to Mr. Hervey. My dear child, said Mrs. Ormond. These are most generous sentiments, and worthy of you, but do not let your imagination run away with you at this rate. Mr. Hervey is rich enough. I wish he were poor, said Virginia, that I might make him rich. He would not love you the better, my dear, said Mrs. Ormond, if you had the wealth of the Indies. Perhaps your father may not be rich, therefore do not set your heart upon this idea. Virginia sighed, Fear succeeded to hope, and her imagination immediately reserved the bright picture that it had drawn. "'But I am afraid,' said she, "'that this gentleman is not my father. How disappointed I shall be! I wish you had never told me all this, my dear Mrs. Ormond.' "'I would not have told it to you, if Mr. Hervey has not desired that I should, and you may be sure he would not have desired it, unless he had good reason to believe that you would not be disappointed.' But he's not sure. He does not say he's quite sure. And, even if I were quite certain of his being my father, how can I be certain that he will not disown me, he who has deserted me so long? My grandmother, I remember, often used to say that he had no natural affection. Your grandmother was mistaken, then, for he has been searching for his child all over England, Mr. Hervey says, and he has almost lost his senses with grief and with remorse. Remorse? Yes, remorse, for having so long deserted you, he fears that you will hate him. Hate him? 
"'Is it possible to hate a father?' said Virginia. "'He dreads that you should never forgive him.' "'Forgive him! I have read of parents forgiving their children, but I never remember to have read of a daughter forgiving her father. Forgive! You should not have used that word. I cannot forgive my father, but I can love him, and I will make him quite forget all his sorrows. I mean, all his sorrows about me.' After this conversation, Virginia spent her time in imagining what sort of person her father would be, whether he was like Mr. Hervey, what words he would say, where he would sit, whether he would sit beside her, and above all, whether he would give her his blessing. "'I am afraid,' said she, "'of liking my father better than anybody else.' "'No danger of that, my dear,' said Mrs. Ormond, smiling. "'I am glad of it.' for it would be very wrong and ungrateful to like anything in this world so well as Mr. Hervey. The carriage now came to the door. Mrs. Ormond instantly ran to the window, but Virginia had not power to move. Her heart beat violently. "'Is he come?' said she. "'Yes, he is getting out of the carriage this moment.' Virginia stood with her eyes eagerly fixed upon the door. "'Hark!' said she, laying her hand upon Mrs. Ormond's arm, to prevent her from moving. Hush, that we may hear his voice. She was breathless. No voice was to be heard. They are not coming, said she, turning as pale as death. An instant afterward her color returned. She heard the steps of two people coming up the stairs. His step! Do you hear it? Is it my father? Virginia's imagination was worked to the highest pitch, and she could scarcely sustain herself. Mrs. Ormond supported her. At this instant her father appeared. "'My child! The image of her mother!' exclaimed he, stopping short. He sunk upon a chair. "'My father!' cried Virginia, springing forward and throwing herself at his feet. "'The voice of her mother!' said Mr. Hartley. "'My daughter! My long-lost child!' He tried to raise her, but could not. Her arms were clasped round his knee. Her face rested upon it, and when he stopped to kiss her cheek, he found it cold. She had fainted. When she came to her senses, and found herself in her father's arms, she could scarcely believe that it was not a dream. "'Your blessing! Give me your blessing, and then I shall know that you are indeed my father,' cried Virginia, kneeling to him and looking up with an enthusiastic impression of filial piety in her countenance. "'God bless you, my sweet child,' said he, laying his hand upon her. "'And God forgive your father.' "'My grandmother died without giving me her blessing,' said Virginia. "'But now I have been blessed by my father. Happy, happy moment! Oh, that she could look down from heaven and see us at this instant!' Virginia was so much astonished and overpowered by this sudden discovery of a parent, and by the novelty of his first caresses, that after the first violent effervescence of her sensibility was over, she might, to an indifferent spectator, have appeared stupid and insensible. Mrs. Ormond, though far from indifferent a spectator, was by no means a penetrating judge of the human heart. She seldom saw more than the external symptoms of feeling, and she was apt to be rather impatient with her friends, if theirs did not accord with her own. "'Virginia, my dear,' said she, 
in rather a reproachful tone. Mr. Hervey, you see, has left the room, on purpose to leave you at full liberty to talk to your father, and I am going. But you are so silent. I have so much to say, and my heart is so full, said Virginia. Yes, I know you told me a thousand things that you had to say to your father before you saw him. But now I see him, I have forgotten them all. I can think of nothing but of him. Of him and Mr. Hervey, said Mrs. Ormond. I was not thinking of Mr. Hervey at the moment, said Virginia, blushing. Well, my love, I will leave you to think and talk of what you please, said Mrs. Ormond, smiling significantly as she left the room. Mr. Hartley folded his daughter in his arms with the fondest expressions of parental affection, and he was upon the point of telling her how much he approved of the choice of her heart, but he recollected his promise, and he determined to sound her inclinations farther, before he even mentioned the name of Clarence Hervey. He began by painting the pleasures of the world, that word from which he had hitherto been secluded. She heard him with simple indifference, not even her curiosity was excited. He observed that though she had no curiosity to see, it was natural that she must have some pleasure in the thoughts of being seen. "'What pleasure?' said Virginia. "'The pleasure of being admired and loved. Beauty and grace such as yours, my child, cannot be seen without commanding admiration and love.' "'I do not want to be admired,' replied Virginia, "'and I want to be loved by those only whom I love.' "'My dearest daughter,' You shall be entirely your own mistress. I will never interfere, either directly or indirectly, in the disposal of your heart. At these last words, Virginia, who had listened to all the rest unmoved, took her father's hand and kissed it repeatedly. Now that I have found you, my darling child, let me at least make you happy, if I can. It is the only atonement in my power. It will be the only solace of my declining years. All that wealth can bestow— Wealth! interrupted Virginia. Then you have wealth? Yes, my child. May it make you happy. That is all the enjoyment I expect from it. It shall all be yours. And may I do what I please with it? Oh, then it will indeed make me happy. I will give it all, all to Mr. Hervey. How delightful to have something to give to Mr. Hervey! And had you never anything to give Mr. Hervey till now? Never, never! He has given me everything. Now, O oh, joyful day, I can prove to him that Virginia is not ungrateful. Dear generous girl, said her father, wiping the tears from his eyes, what a daughter have I found! But tell me, my child, continued he, smiling, do you think Mr. Hervey will be content if you give him only your fortune? Do you think that he would accept the fortune without the heart? Nay, do not turn away that dear blushing face from me. Remember, it is your father who speaks to you. Mr. Hervey will not take your fortune without yourself, I am afraid. What shall we do? Must I refuse him your hand? Refuse him? Do you think that I could refuse him anything who has given me everything? I should be a monster, indeed. There is no sacrifice I would not make, no exertion of which I am not capable, for Mr. Hervey's sake. But my dear father, said she, changing her tone, he never asked for my hand till yesterday. But he had won your heart long ago, I see, thought the father. 
I have written an answer to his letter. Will you look at it, and tell me if you approve of it? I do approve of it, my darling child. I will not read it. I know what it must be. He has a right to the preference he has so nobly earned. Oh, he has, he has indeed, cried Virginia, with an expression of strong feeling. And now is the time to show him that I am not ungrateful. How I love you for this, my child, cried the father, fondly embracing her. This is exactly what I wished, though I did not dare to say so, till I was sure of your sentiments. Mr. Hervey charged me to leave you entirely to yourself. He thought that your new situation might perhaps produce some change in your sentiments. I see he was mistaken, and I am heartily glad of it. But you are going to say something, my dear. Do not let me interrupt you. I was only going to beg that you would give this letter, my dear father, to Mr. Hervey. It is an answer to one which he wrote to me when I was poor. And deserted, she was near saying, but she stopped herself. I wish, continued she, Mr. Hervey should know that my sentiments are precisely the same now, that they have always been. Tell him, added she proudly, that he did me injustice by imagining that my sentiments could alter with my situation. He little knows Virginia. Clarence at this moment entered the room, and Mr. Hartley eagerly led his daughter to meet him. "'Take her hand,' cried he. "'You have her heart. You deserve it. And she has just been very angry with me for doubting. But read the letter. That will speak better of her, and more to your satisfaction, no doubt, than I can.' Virginia hastily put the letter into Mr. Hervey's hand, and, breaking from her father, retired to her own apartment. With all the trepidation of a person who feels that the happiness of his life is to be decided in a few moments, Clarence tore open Virginia's letter, and, conscious that he was not able to command his emotion, he withdrew from her father's inquiring eyes. Mr. Hartley, however, saw nothing of this agitation, but what he thought natural to a lover, and he was delighted to perceive that his daughter had inspired so strong a passion. Virginia's letter contained but these few lines. Most happy shall I be, if the whole of my future life can prove to you how deeply I feel your goodness. Virginia St. Pyre End of S. Hervey's Pocket An acceptance so direct left Clarence no alternative. His fate was decided. He determined immediately to force himself to see Belinda and Mr. Vincent, for he fancied that his mind would be more at ease when he had conceived himself by ocular demonstration that she was absolutely engaged to another, that, consequently, even if he were free, he could have no chance of gaining her affections. There were moments when we desired a conviction, which at another time would overwhelm us with despair. It was in this temper that Mr. Hervey paid his visit to Lady Delacour, but we have seen that he was unable to support for many minutes that philosophic composure to which, at his first entrance into the room, he had worked up his mind. The tranquillity which he had expected would be the consequence of this visit. He was farther than even from obtaining. The extravagant joy with which Lady Delacour received him, and an indescribable something in her manner when she looked from him to Belinda, and from Belinda to Mr. Winslet, persuaded him her ladyship wished that he were in Mr. Vincent's place. The idea was so delightful that his soul was entranced, and for a few minutes Virginia, and everything that related to her, vanished from his remembrance. 
it was whilst he was in this state that lady delacour as the reader may recollect invited him into her lord's dressing-room to tell her the contents of the packet which had not then reached her hands the request suddenly recalled him to his senses but he felt that he was not at this moment able to trust himself to her ladyship's penetration he therefore referred her to his letter for that explanation which he dreaded to make in person and he escaped from belinda's presence resolving never more to expose himself to such danger what effect his packet produced on lady delacour's mind and on belinda's we shall not at present stop to inquire but having brought up clarence hervey's affairs to the present day we shall continue his history End of chapter twenty seven